It's the Go Gopher Podcast with Mike Grimm, episode number 98. I am Mike Grimm, voice of the Golden Gophers, and welcome back to our podcast. This week on the Go Gopher Podcast, we'll have a post-mortem on the 2023 Golden Gopher football season. We'll have a visit with Gopher Illustrated's Ryan Burns. He'll break down the season. He'll talk about the developing quarterback situation, his expectations of the bowl game, and the approaching offseason. We'll also have the voice of Gopher Volleyball, Tanner Hoops with us, we'll get a preview of this week's NCAA tournament appearance for the Golden Gophers in Omaha. Our Go Gopher podcast is presented by alumni-owned Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're a business founder planning to exit your business, start by contacting Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. Sunbelt serves more businesses up to $5 million in revenue than anyone, and True North M&A serves companies with revenues up to $150 million. Get a confidential, no-cost, no-obligation business valuation started today. Make the most of your life's work. Visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com today. Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union is also one of our major supporters of the Go Gopher podcast. Life math is complicated, and Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union makes it easier with local financial experts available to help in person or virtually. You can learn more at affinityplus.org slash gogophers. That's Affinity Plus org slash go gophers they have a top-ranked mobile app so check that out as well and the official grocer of the golden gophers is cub and proud also to be a sponsor of our go gopher podcast in a hurry don't worry cub delivers get fresh meat produce and everyday essentials delivered to your door our podcast is also sponsored by state farm agent tony hoagland at champlininsurance.com we're podcasting episode 98 from the aquarius home services studio we invite you to subscribe to the go go for podcast it's free to subscribe and free to listen at any point you can go back and listen to the go go for podcast from previous weeks including last episode for example we had a terrific visit with gopher football player chris Ottman bell this week we're still talking golden gopher football we'll recap the season with our buddy ryan burns from gopher illustrated when we come back on episode 97 i'm clay geary walk on turn scholarship wide receiver for gopher football and i'm ben utek u of m alumni super bowl champion and tony Dungy Uncommon Award winner. We understand championship culture, which is why we're part of the True North family of companies. True North invests in only elite teams, like the champion team at Sunbelt Business Advisors, Minnesota's largest seller of companies. To learn more about True North and our diverse family of independently owned companies, visit truenorthequitypartners.com. When we say that Cub Milk is the freshest in town, we mean it. Less than 48 hours from farm to store fresh. We guarantee seven days or more of freshness. It all starts with local dairy farmers who take great care in making sure all the cows are happy and healthy. We support local farm families 365 days a year. And that makes our milk even more delicious. So you always get the freshest milk and the biggest smiles. Episode 98 of the Go Gopher podcast rolls on, and we're going to do a little post-mortem on the 2023 regular season for Minnesota football. Of course, there's a bowl game upcoming. Ryan Burns from Gopher Illustrated returns to the podcast. Burnsy, good to see you. 
Good to see you, Groomer. Uh, I know you and I have spent a lot of time together here this season at press conferences, had a couple of gentlemen's bets that yeah. unfortunately didn't go your way. Yo, but... you, that's what you're going to come right out firing <laughs> with, huh? Come right out firing with. I can't even remember what they are, but I do owe you, I think, a dinner in Indianapolis and, and a couple of uh, a couple of drinks. Yes, I, I think that's going to be the case, whether it's in a random bowl game or yeah. whether it's in Indianapolis next year. Well, um, we don't need to get into specifics on what those were. Uh, suffice it to say, Michigan beating Ohio State uh, was the was the meal bet was beneficial for me, yes. and then we had an Iowa versus Rutgers handshake. Yeah, that uh, you were you were thinking Minnesota East was going to get it done with Kurt Schrock and Joe Harris Simiak, and I think that day the Rutgers Scarlet Knights got shut out twenty two nothing. And uh, but I had uh, I, it was I had odds. You gave me odds. I did. I was so I, it was a value. I was bet cordial about I it. Lost. Oh, yeah. Yes, I took a value bet and lost on that one. I did think the Scarlet Knights would get the the Hawks that day, but the Hawks are in Indianapolis this weekend. So you and I are recording this. We got to preface this because it's Wednesday morning. So by the time someone might listen to this on Friday, there could be new news, different news, or likely will be new news and different news. We may know what bowl game Minnesota is going to. I think we feel pretty solid as we talk that it's likely going to end up in the Motor City and um, playing against a MAC team. But um, depending on what happens this weekend and how the playoff shuffle goes and who goes to the Orange Bowl, believe it or not, will have an impact potentially Correct. in where Minnesota ends up. There are there are varying, um, you know, uh, house of cards that could tumble here or there. Minnesota will go to a bowl game. Who will be the quarterback? Uh, who will all be left? Uh, we shall see. But um, before we get into all of that, I do sure. want to put a postmortem on the season. Keegan Cook, the golfer volleyball coach, I don't think this is his own comment, but he talked about it uh, this week. He said the days are long and the weeks uh, are short. And I think that was true with football as well, because I sit here and I'm, I'm thinking, yeah, I'd get into work early. I'd get home late. Didn't see my family much. But how in the hell are we already at the end of the football season, right? It just flew by. Um, but yet it seemed like those days took forever to get through. Yeah, I mean, I feel like just yesterday we were at St. Elmo's in Indianapolis, yeah. you, me, DT, and uh, Andy Greeter and Randy Johnson trying to think and prognosticate what this season was going to hold for this team. And now it feels like Thanksgiving was six months ago with the way that the portal and everything else has uh, kind of transpired. But I mean, that's the thing is everybody is so excited to get to the start line, which was obviously that Nebraska game and the way it, it concluded with Dragon Kessic, now Big Ten kicker of the year, yeah. Dragon Kessic. And then obviously in a November to forget when they go 0-4, allow 35 points per game in it. A lot of ebbs, a lot of flows, but, you know, it, it's, it's something to where, to your point, I mean, I'm already looking forward to seeing what it looks like against North Carolina next season. There's a lot of things yeah. that are going to look a lot different for this team in Flex eighth year, but... I mean, it always goes by far too quickly. It does fly by. And now let's take a look back because um, it, it's amazing how emotions, and I think it's more so than ever uh, in sports in general, particularly here in Minnesota where there's a you know kind of this toxic environment from a standpoint that there just hasn't been a lot of winning at a high level from anybody, uh, professional sports, college sports, what have you, of the major college sports. And so um, it's quick that people will jump on the bandwagon and even quicker people jump off and all of that, um, you think about October the 28th, 
which happened to be my birthday. That's why I remember the day. Minnesota uh, was coming off of the week before a win in Iowa City, beating Iowa there for the first time since 1999 and for the first time in general uh, since 2014. They come back and they have a pretty solid win against Michigan State where they absolutely dominated the second half. Jordan Newbin was player of the week in the Big Ten. They're sitting in really good shape, quite frankly, at that point as we head into November from October 28th on. And if you had told me that Minnesota would be five and seven, and and uh, you know sneaking in on the APR and playing in Detroit, I would have said I would have lost some more drinks to you <laughs> yeah. at, at that bet. I'm guessing you would probably were thinking the same. Yeah, I mean, you have so many highs and so many lows in just a, sh- a short amount of time. To your point, you have the Jordan Newbin game where he runs for 200 yards, breaks 10 tackles. And then in the entire month of November, he gets 87 carries and he only breaks eight tackles, according to Pro Football Focus. And you have a defensive implosion like we haven't seen in some time. If I were to even told you in that Illinois game, where with 85 seconds left, yeah. John Paddock comes in off the bench, hasn't thrown a pass <laughs> in over a month in its fourth and 11. And that's a Minnesota defense that that day was as disruptive as we saw all season. They had, I think, eight tackles for loss. It forced three turnovers. They were playing pretty Lindenberg, a big game back. And then three plays later, they're in the end zone, and that was kind of the precipice for what would set up the rest of the month was defensive implosions the next week against Purdue. Yeah, you're banged up in the, in the back end, but 49 points to a Purdue team can't happen. And then obviously Ohio State and then Wisconsin here. It's just as much as it was the Michigan State game to me, I think back to that John Paddock three-play series where – if Trey Jones doesn't slip out of his break on fourth down, Minnesota gets a PBU there, the game's over. What does it look like next yeah. week against Purdue? I yeah. don't know. I, I agree. I think I – think uh, and the head coach and I disagree on this because we talked about it on his coach's show after the Purdue loss. I do believe, as much as they don't want to believe in momentum and 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 um, you know hangovers and all this stuff, I believe those three plays turned the rest of the final stretch of the season. I don't think there's any doubt that defense isn't bad enough to give up 49 the next week. Right. They were empty. They were empty. Um, I'm not saying that they weren't trying. I'm not saying it was intentional. None of that. But, you know... I don't care how big of a competitor you are. Um, you have um, you you have the game won in essence. Um, your dreams are still alive. Newbin, Spanford, Bo, these guys all came back hoping to get to Indianapolis. You're literally a play away from it, and then boom, 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 in just a dramatic, devastating fashion, the dream is over. It's mm-hmm. over. And I don't care how big of a competitor you are. It, it was clear to me that they just couldn't summon the edge that's needed to win a Big Ten game the next week. It was, again, not malicious, not on purpose, none of that. Um, it happens. It happens in sports. It's a, Sometimes after a win, it's a letdown. Sometimes after a devastating loss, you just can't summon what you need to summon. I believe that was the case. Ohio State, you know, that's a one-off. You're not going to, you know, I don't care how much edge you have. That's a tough that, – look, especially in, in, in my horseshoe. lifetime, like in my lifetime, the gap between the, the top and the middle and the bottom has never been bigger in the Big Ten. There's never been a back gap this big from Ohio State and Michigan to, to the third and then certainly the fourth, fifth on down. Um, it just hasn't been that case. So that, you know, those are punts. You just – that's not going to happen. And then Wisconsin, great start. You're up 14-7 controlling the game and uh, offense sputters a couple of times around that 40-45 yard line and um, and all of a sudden everything goes south. But I, I agree. I think, frankly, the turning point um, that those three plays against Illinois um, could change the trajectory of the whole thing. Uh, they they, they got to, I think they've got to figure some things out here this offseason, clearly now with what we're seeing with Transfer Portal and everything else and, and uh, try to get this thing uh, steered back 
properly. Yeah, you always try to and think about, in hindsight, being 2020, where the inflection point was. And that's where I point to is that three-play series Three. where you're winning. That should be a game that you absolutely win. Probably 95, 98. I think their win percentage was 98% at that point. Again, 4th and 11 and a backup quarterback who hadn't thrown a pass in a month. You have and to And 4th and 11 from the 14, not Correct. like the other 14. Yeah. The other 14. Exactly. They had to drive 85 yards to be able to, to be able to win the game, and they did. And that's where if you win that game, you're 6-3. and three. I, I know the head coach, like you discussed, doesn't believe in momentum. They're going to win next the next week. They yeah. are. They're going to beat Purdue the next week. And then they're 7-3 and three going into Ohio State. And what happens in that Wisconsin game? Right. I, I have no idea. But, I mean, that's even where I think back to what does the offense potentially look like, even go back to that North Carolina game where Cole Kramer comes in the game for one play because the quarterback, I think it was cramps yep. during that game in that late third quarter. If he just hits Daniel Jackson wide open in the middle of the field, what happens there going forward? I, I don't know. I mean, there's so many different if-then hypotheticals to me. But, I mean, yeah, if you're going to point to one specific thing from that season, it's that final drive defensively against Illinois. That was the turning point. Yeah, I agree. And and um, you hope it's not the turning point in a shift. Like, like, like it, you know, I've seen where programs can shift positive or negative based on some weird stuff, and it takes years to recover. I don't think that will be the case here, but you got to be on the lookout. Uh, you got to make sure you've got some things in order, I think, here. And certainly a, a tumultuous, you know, week following. The one thing I want to preface my questions with you here is that it, this isn't uncommon. Like like everybody lives in their own world. Purdue, I think, has 14 transfers, right, announced, and everyone in West Lafayette's losing their mind. Uh, oh, my God, Ryan Walters has lost the locker. No, this is normal. Uh, when, when the season's over for Michigan and Iowa, uh, the regular season, there's going to be people that are going to announce. 100%. Um, and, and the Gophers aren't done losing players. They're going to have to add players. Signing day's coming up. We'll get to all that stuff. But before everyone just panics and says, oh, my God, uh, what's going on there? This is the new normal, folks. Everybody's going to have it. In fact, the quarterback transferring uh, and the fact that the Gophers hadn't lost a starting quarterback or have been starting a guy who was a transfer put, makes them the not normal team. Mm-hmm. Like every team in the Big Ten West except Minnesota this year was starting a transfer. Correct. And in Iowa's case, their second transfer. In Illinois' case, their second transfer, mm-hmm. their, their backup that ended up starting was also a transfer. So this isn't unnormal. That's should we panic? I don't know, but not don't if you're going to panic, panic for the right thing. Like to me the question now is, you know, who are you going to get, right? And you know, will, will remains to be seen where where that all heads. But anyway, how surprised were you uh when news broke on Tuesday midday that Ethan Kelly Manus was was leaving the program? Yeah, just transfer portal overall, it's a lot different to your point than it was 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. I think last season Minnesota had 15 scholarship transfers. Where does that rank in the Big Ten West? About exactly average. Mm-hmm. Every Big Ten West team lost double-digit kids to the transfer portal last year. It's just the world we live in now. And so far as we record this today on Wednesday, Minnesota's lost, I believe, four guys on via scholarship so far. It's probably going to end up being double digits again by the time the portal closes for the final time in the spring. Right. But with Ethan. I don't think I was incredibly surprised. I think that with the way that the season went, and especially kind of the way that November went for him, 
I think it was clear Minnesota had to add competition to that quarterback room. And now they had been all in on him since 2019 when he committed. Mm -hmm. I mean, they went as far as not taking a scholarship quarterback in that 2020 recruiting class. Ethan was a part of the 21 recruiting class, but he committed all the way back in 2019. And these were some of the things you had to do to get your four-star quarterback to be able to sign at a place like the University of Minnesota. So they had been all in on him for five years, he's got 17 starts, and you look at from start one this year or just in general to where he ended, and I don't know that you could have seen enough progress to say that you can't go out and find a viable competition-level quarterback in the transfer portal. And I think in today's world, competition does a lot of things to a lot of people, and that's where I think if you were to ask Ethan's side, they would tell you Minnesota probably didn't develop him as correctly. And I think if you ask Minnesota side, they know that especially with the way the season went and the way it ended, they have to bring in more competition in every position, and that includes quarterback. And so when Minnesota made a, uh, a transfer offer to a, a young man out of New Hampshire of all places mm-hmm. who's an FCS-level quarterback – I don't know that it went over too well, and I think it it culminated in him uh, intending to put his name into the portal when it opens on Monday. Yeah, and I was wondering. I I have no idea. You you are um, you know maybe into the recruiting scene much more. I do not pay near as much attention clearly as you do, Um, and I don't know if we know the answer. Did. Did the Gophers offer – I think you're right. P.J. talked about competition without mm-hmm. really saying it um, in the postgame press conference and in his interview with J.G. on on the radio network that, uh, that one of the answers is going to be in this realignment year um, now that they know what they know, that they're going to add competition. Um, he didn't specifically say competition at quarterback, but I think that was a clear insinuation. Mm-hmm. Um, the question is, were they – do you think that they had an inkling that – that that Ethan was thinking about this, and so they're like, we got to add competition anyway. Or do you think they were going to add competition? They offered, and Ethan said, okay. Not that he's scared of competition, but that um, you know I'm getting out of here once they offer the quarterback. Or do you think it was okay? We, we we're not sure this guy's going to be around, so we're going to add competition anyway. I think the truth somewhere in between. Yeah, because uh, I, I thought the tone absolutely changed. After that Wisconsin game, the, I I thought before that I, okay. I thought I thought the way. Um, on the way Ethan talked, and you asked him a couple of pretty pointed questions at final one. I thought that was in, he answered in a couple of interesting ways. And I thought PJ the last two weeks, the way he had early, if you go back and listen to how he talked about Ethan, it, it I, I thought the answers were different the last two weeks. I, I after the um, Purdue game, I think it might have been. And again, this is you and I speculating purely yeah. our conjecture that. It would be, I think the head coach finally realized that if they're going to move forward and he's going to have a job here, there's got to be a lot more competition in this room. And and that's where Cole Kramer, likely your starter in the bowl game, sticking around for Mm -hmm. one more game. But that quarterback room had to change. There had to be an an infusion of older talent, of guys that you can go out and to your point. I mean, Iowa's backup quarterback, Deacon Hill, was a Wisconsin transfer. John Paddock came from Ball State. You can find quarterbacks in the portal. You can, and that's yeah. where, it, especially for where Minnesota is likely going to be proverbial, you know, shopping. I would say for transfer quarterbacks, that group of five to FCS range, you can go find those guys, and they can absolutely want to come to a Big Ten school, even without the promise of money. But you had to make sure that you. I just don't think Ethan was, and I think you. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that you would agree, he wasn't consistent enough from game one to game twelve, especially in that month of November when there are guys open. 
and, and he's just not hitting them. That's yeah. where you had to add more competition to push him, and it just worked out the way that it did. Right, and I also thought the offense was I, – I don't – I thought the offense was so choppy all year. It never got into a rhythm. Some of that certainly, I think, was the quarterback, um, you know, missing some things, receivers – dropping passes, but I also just think the the rhythm was never there. Like they ran in clear passing situations way too much, and if that was because they didn't trust the quarterback, then why? Um, I don't know if they gave him enough chances to either prove trust or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so some of that philosophically to me has to change, particularly if you're going to go out shopping for quarterbacks because the quarterback's <laughs> going to watch game film and say, I'm not coming there to throw 17 times a day. Right, and so you're, you're trying to figure out, and that's what you and I are trying to figure out, is how much of it was philosophy, how much of it was the injuries of you're on Jordan Newbin by mid-October. And again, great story, a kid who works incredibly hard. But when you get to your primary running back in November is breaking a tackle, one every 11 carries – you know this offense like I do. It's so difficult. Yeah. Um, but again, the passing game was choppy all season. We've seen that now for years, regardless of, you know, Mike Sanford, Kirk Schrock, and now Greg Harbo. They have to get it fixed, and, and that's where it's going to be. I mean, they're putting a lot of stock to me in Greg Harbo is going to have to be the one that fixes this because you had an inflection point. And I keep saying that word, but you had a decision to make between Ethan. And potentially Greg Harbo, who do you kind of put more of it on? And with Harbo still obviously being on the staff here, I think they're going all in on that Harbo and this offensive staff can fix the problems that, to your point, the rhythm was off the entire season. They couldn't find flow, especially in the third quarter of games where I don't know that they – I think they scored three points in the month of November in the third quarter. Yeah, it was crazy. I mean, they just kept – and then you go back and watch, and it's just execution. It's guys are open or there's a block to be made, and the guys just don't make it. So there's a lot of things that they obviously got to figure out on offense, but that's where with with Ethan going to be in the portal, it's going to be on Greg Harbo primarily here to fix the issues that plague this offense, and that's going to be with a new quarterback. Yeah, and I don't want to ask you to look in your magic eight ball for any specifics. Um, there's you know going to be literally 100 quarterbacks in the portal. Yeah. Um, what do you think the target – range skill set that they're going to look for um, and I mean are they going to go to try to find an existing do what Iowa did and go find an existing power five backup somewhere that they think starter ready um, or are they going to do you know what you know others have done uh, where you go get a, a guy at a lower level and and see if he can elevate his play and they've done that at other positions Minnesota has um, knowing also uh, there's going to be competition for quarterbacks because that's a that's a the, the marquee position in winning, I mean, to me, that at the end of the day, you got great quarterback play. You got a great chance to win. You don't. It's hard to win. Well, that's where you even look at. I mean, you brought up earlier. Ethan was the lone returning type of starter that in the Big Ten West wasn't a transfer. And then you look at those six transfer quarterbacks, and you go, was it kind of worth it to be able to go out? I think the only one. I mean, Mordecai. It was, was okay. He was okay. He was injured. For like some I'll disagree of it. with the head coach there too. Afterwards, after the Wisconsin game, he goes, "That's a big time Big Ten quarterback." Stealing my phrase, by the way. <laughs> uh, big time Big Ten quarterback. He goes, "That's what they look like." I don't know. Like, like he was okay. He was just collected. I He's mean, a he, guy. He he was poised. That's about the the thing you would say about him. And when things broke down around him, he obviously knew how to use his legs. He had a gr- I mean, and that's not look. He had a great game against mm-hmm. the Gophers. But I'm saying his body of work. And I know he was injured. And um, but you go from throwing I think 25 plus touchdowns each year, if not 30 at SMU to I think he threw five this year. Yeah, and, and or you could argue the best quarterback of the of the lot. Now Cade McNamara got hurt. 
but was Hudson Card. But yeah. you look at Indiana, you look at, or, I mean, you look at Nebraska. Nebraska. How did that? Nebraska was disaster. a complete disaster. So now you're going to be playing in that pool where across the country, outside of, say, Notre Dame with uh, Sam Hartman, I would argue, it went pretty well. And so now you got to go play in the pool. So what does the pool look like? Well, with the true freshman also transferring, I think you got to bring in two transfer quarterbacks. I think you go for one that's experienced, maybe a graduate transfer, someone that they really like is a kid from New Hampshire. I mentioned him earlier, a kid by the name of Max Broswell. Bio, I think it's biochem is his major, someone who's very smart. We'll see if uh, Minnesota is able to potentially get his commitment in the next couple of weeks. But then you also got to take more of a project. Maybe someone that was a Power 5 backup as a redshirt freshman, say. Someone that you can bring into this room that you can develop, but also Minnesota really likes their high school commit from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Drake Lindsay, who's got uh, someone that they're very high on. I've seen him in person. I like his arm talent. Someone, I think he's got like 88 touchdowns and like seven interceptions, Grimmer, in his high school career. How worried do they have to be at signing? He hasn't signed anything. Uh, it's, I mean, with Arkansas... Obviously, now potentially, I, I don't know if it's official yet, getting Bobby Petrino back on. That's staff. incredible, by the way. A whole on, that could be a whole new podcast. Only in college football yeah. can something like that happen. Yeah. I'll tell you that much. I'm not worried here as we sit here today. Now, a lot can and will change in the next three weeks. I think Minnesota's going to go see him in his state championship game this weekend. But, I mean, there's a lot of things where if you're Drake Lindsay and you look at the quarterback room right now, there isn't a single quarterback that is on the roster right now on scholarship from that was on the Wisconsin game roster that is going to be here. So if you want to come in and potentially compete early yeah, at a sure. Power 5 institution, here is your opportunity, young man. Yeah, and, and, and the other question I have, um, and P.J., look, P.J. is a salesman. There's no question about that. I like Harbo. Um, um, I, you know, in terms of relations, I, I remember watching him coach tight ends, thinking that guy can coach, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't witness it enough uh, in terms of quarterback play yet to know. Plus, you know, when you when I, I do have some benefit of, of being at practice, the quarterbacks are always in the middle of the field, so I the tight ends were always on the sideline, and yep. that's where we were. Correct. And so I could I I had uh, you know a close in look at how he coached those tight ends the last few years, and I'm always like that guy can coach. So what kind of sales job are those guys going to have to do? Because Look, if I'm a quarterback or I'm the parent of a quarterback and it's my son, um, I want the best situation for him. And I'm going to take a hard look if I'm serious about it and say, hmm, they didn't they didn't throw the ball that much. <laughs> right. Um, so and especially w- historically. Yeah. And what, so what are they going to have to tell a young man um, who has maybe aspirations on playing at the next level and say, hey, we can get you there? I think it would be trying to sell them on this is what we were, but this is what we want to be. Now it's obviously. But do be, they do they want that? Do you, do you think they want? I a think shift? they want to throw more, but the question becomes, and it's like we've talked about for now seven full years of PJ Fleck. What does it look like when the head coach is happy with the passing game? Because one of the things Fleck loves to talk about is even back in that in that 2019 season where you have Bateman, Johnson, yep. and everybody else, they weren't throwing it more than 23, 25, 27 times a game on average. They were just one of the most efficient teams in the passing game in America. Yeah. Well, that's what happens when you have NFL receivers. Now, I think you got one coming back, obviously, in Daniel Jackson. But it's trying to, to pitch what the offense could look like. If they have what they would, I would imagine, say is a viable quarterback that can make accurate throws, that this is what this offense would look like. We don't have to be running as much, and we can throw the ball 25 times a game. I think selling them any more than that is just being disingenuous, as you and I cover this team as closely as anyone. Mm -hmm. If you can just throw the ball 25 times a game, 
I mean, we're talking about at the end of the season, you're throwing it 300-something times, if you, especially if you got a bowl game. So with the way that this thing is shifting, especially going into 2024, where you lead off with North Carolina, who's going to have their own brand-new transfer quarterback, and then you have USC, UCLA, you're going to have to throw the ball more. You're not going to be able to – you're going to be in a lot more up-and-down games where you can't just sit on the ball. And so that would be my pitch if I'm Greg Harbo and P.J. Fleck is – this is what we were. This is what we had to be because of some what they would deem different issues. But as we move forward now into this immediate season, this is what we have to be, and this is the vision for it. What um, kind of money is it going to take to get a quarterback? I don't know if if you know specifics. If you do, offer them up. If not, no biggie. <laughs> but I mean, you're not going to get a guy for free, right? Uh, I mean, if you're expecting to get um, you know some of these high these four and five star guys who are proven or just proven power five guys, they're not going to be in that pool. Those That pool is going to be a quarter million, if not higher. I'm telling you, I've heard some numbers already thrown around, um, especially if that young man from Duke, Riley Leonard, uh, potentially hits the portal. I mean, that could be a seven figure. That dude is a stud, by the he way. He is really good and he's going to be playing in the NFL one day, yeah. which is why he's going to be worth to a specific. I mean, the way I think about NIL is there are 15 teams that are playing in a different pool by themselves. And when the portal opens on Monday, you're going to see those 15 teams. You're going to see and hear ungodly amounts of money, six, seven figures potentially. And then once it starts to whittle down after that initial flurry, then it becomes, okay, who's left yep. and who can we go after with the promise of um, you know, little, t- I mean, and by little NIL, somewhere in the five figures, maybe four figure range yeah. that – we can. It's not about NIL. If it's about NIL for you, you're not going to end up at the University of Minnesota at the end right. of the day. But if you want to have a chance to come to a Big Ten institution and prove yourself and start, and I mean, I looked at the numbers. There's still some attractiveness to it. Hundred percent. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you got to figure that the um, the guy that's going from Duke to A and M, that quarterback could end up just following him there because A and M's got some coffers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're t- and that's one of those 15 teams that has millions, if not tens of millions, available to them. God bless t- Texas oil money. Mm-hmm. But yes, if if that young man hits the portal between Texas A&M and I would say Notre Dame, uh, I think that man is going to be very set for quite a long time if he's smart about his money. Yeah, no doubt. I watched the was it Notre Northwestern Duke game because I think the Gophers played. Northwestern the following week, mm-hmm. and the big takeaway I had from that game was how good that kid is. Yeah, he is, especially when he was healthy. I mean, he dealt with a lot of injuries, ankle injuries specifically, but yeah, Riley Leonard's his name. If He is one of the best quarterbacks in college football when he's healthy, and especially when you look at what he did at a place like Duke against these Power 5 teams, quality teams in the ACC there. Yeah, he is going to be in for a payday if he chooses to. So you think two transfer quarterbacks and the freshman from Arkansas will be, and then Max Schick and Jansky yep. will be. Yeah, the, who's going to be your backup for the bowl game? Yeah. The young man from yeah. Stillwater, the walk on that. Obviously, his father. Yeah, uh, with the, the Gopher basketball connection there. But if it's me, I'm bringing in a a grad transfer potentially from the Group of Five, potentially from the FCS that is experienced. Multiple years of starting, you can say you are going to be the prohibitive favorite to start for a Big Ten team in 2024. And then I would go and look and try to get a more of a developmental guy from potentially group of five, potentially power five, where, again, if NIL is their thing, it's not going to be here. But if you want to have a chance to be the number two 
where, as we've seen for so many years across college football, especially in the Big You're Ten. You're going to play sometime. You are going to play. And so then you will have your opportunity there. But that's what I would do, older guy, younger guy, and then hopefully get the uh, true or the kid from Fayetteville, Arkansas, and Drake Lindsay sign yeah. in three weeks. All right, so you have a busy time coming up. As you mentioned, signing days in three weeks. Where do the Gophers currently rank, and how many more uh, guys do you think they need committed or want to commit? So they got uh, three weeks till signing day today. They have the number 30 class in the country as we currently sit here today via 24-7 sports. Which th- relative to history is pretty good. Which is, especially for a team that's not going to promise a lot in NIL, it's really good. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's where it's going to be for them. Can they hold on to a couple of these in-state kids like Coy Perich, who's going to take visits to two of the top four teams in the college football playoff, or I think top six or top eight now in Ohio State and Florida State. Uh, Jade Abbasiri from Prior Lake just got a USC offer as well. I mean, I think this is as good of a class as they've had committed. And I know that a lot of people don't want to hear that because of just the way that November went. But if they can hold on to this class, I think it's another good building block for them. But it becomes for them how much, and I think this is the question they're going to answer for us over the next three weeks, is how many more high school kids do you want to add? versus how many kids from the portal do you want to take for January? Mm-hmm. And so that's the balancing the future versus the now, especially after a 5-7 and seven season. I wish I had the answer for you of how many more they should take from the high school ranks. I think they got around 20 to 22 high school kids committed right now. But I also think that they've seen the holes like we have, where if you can go get out in the portal and get some guys that can play at a Power 5 level to fill some of these holes – I think I'd give that a long look, too. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, at quarterback, they'll need to do that. All right, so you'll be busy. Do you got any great deals at Gopher Illustrated going right now? <laughs> yeah. Pennies a day or something? Yeah, if you want to come hang out with us between now and looks like it would be around New Year's Eve, it's a dollar to get behind the paywall to see what's going to happen with Minnesota in the, in the portal. Can Minnesota hang on to some of their high school commits? The coaches from Minnesota will be hitting the road starting on Friday, and it's that last gaps all the way until National Signing Day. and. And obviously the transfer portal. So it's going to be a lot of ebbs and flows. There's going to be a lot of emotions involved. So it's only $1 to get behind the paywall. Go for illustrated.com. Well, we appreciate you spending time with us. I know you're about to record your other, one of your other podcasts, Hair and a Spare, just <laughs> right. down the hall from where we're recording now. Um, how can people listen to that? On the, uh, as Justin Gard would tell me, on the iHeartRadio app yep. or wherever you get your podcast. Plus, we got another one that gets a little bit more deep in the weeds called Go for Gridiron Radio, where a lot of pregame, postgame, and just in-depth looks at where this program is heading under P.J. Fleck. Yeah, you've got a lot going on, man. You'll be busy. <laughs> yes, we will. It's that time of year. And uh, we'll see you in Detroit, probably. We'll see you at the bowl game. I don't. <laughs> I've, I think you and I have spent enough Christmases in Detroit, so yeah. we'll see if that's where they end up once again. Merry Christmas, man. Merry Christmas to you, Greg. There he is, Ryan Burns, Gopher Illustrated, uh, Gopher Gridiron Radio, Parent of Spare. He's a busy man. We thank him for his time. We really probably could go you know, hours, but uh, we wanted to give you – a little bit of a uh, recap of the season. We're talking Gopher Volleyball next here on the Go Gopher Podcast. It's episode number 98. Hi, Gopher fans. Switching is easy. We do it all the time. We switch on lights. We switch TV channels. We switch on the TV. And with the new transfer portal, some college students even switch colleges, which can seem crazy to us diehard fans. But what's not crazy is how you can switch and save with State Farm. In fact, my agency can switch you over so we can start saving today. My team is ready to welcome you to the State Farm neighborhood and show you it is, in fact, easy to switch and save. When you want the real deal, check us out at champlininsurance.com. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. 
Mike Grimm back with you for Affinity Plus, your local credit union proudly serving Minnesota since 1930. As a current Gopher student or a proud Gopher alum, you are eligible to join a financial that wants to build a meaningful banking relationship and put you first. Meet with a local employee at any of their branches statewide, including one right off campus on University in Minneapolis. To learn more or find another way to connect, go to affinityplus.org slash gogophers. That's affinityplus.org slash gogophers. Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, federally insured by NCUA and a proud sponsor of the Go Gopher podcast. Episode 98 rolls on. We talked football in the opening segment and we're going to shift gears now to Golden Gopher Volleyball, which uh, of course just wrapped up the regular season under first-year head coach Keegan Cook. First year at Minnesota, he's not a first-year head coach. It was an interesting season for Keegan Cook, who came here from Washington to take over for Hugh McCutcheon. And the man who has called those games on the radio, the voice of Gopher Volleyball, is Tanner Hoops, our buddy from the Gopher Radio Network. He works with us on Gopher football and occasionally fills in on Gopher basketball, both men's and women's, when guards here I have football or other conflicts or we're sick or what have you. And Tanner, good to see you. Great seeing you, Mike. Thanks for having me on. Well, first of all, how excited are you? Uh, you're going to be headed to Omaha here soon as we record this on Wednesday morning. You and the team will head down to Omaha. Creighton will be the host of this opening weekend. Minnesota and Utah State, Creighton and Colgate. That's the uh, first two matches on Friday. The winners will play Saturday for a trip to the Sweet 16. Uh, what's your excitement level personally to uh, have another crack at calling some NCAA tournament action? I think you might look from afar at the season, maybe look on paper and think that you, there's not a whole lot of reason to be excited. You know, we're on the road for the first weekend of the tournament. That's something fairly new for us, you know, uh, record 16 and 12. But I think there's a lot of buzz and I think there's a uh, palpable buzz for good reason as we get set to go down there. The team has seemed to turn a corner. We've won six of our last eight, uh, played some really good volleyball here over the, the, the home stretch of the season that helped us get into the tournament. And, you know, uh, talked about that after the bracket was revealed Sunday night. He's like, you know, we've been in the tournament basically in our minds uh, for a few weeks now. You know, we've been playing postseason volleyball because you know it's felt like we we've, we've had to uh, play that well to to get into the tournament. And you know, we we feel like we're playing our best volleyball right now. This is the best time of year uh, to be doing so. Um, you know, Creighton obviously is going to be a really uh, tough place to go and play. They're a great team and, you know, they're they're hosting for a reason. But, you know, we played them back in September, took them to five sets in our non-conference finale when, uh, you know, we really hadn't hit our stride yet. So, you know, we feel pretty good uh, going down there. Utah State obviously is not a team you can overlook. They won their conference for a reason. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good players over there and they've uh, got a tradition, uh, history, success and making this tournament as they did a season ago. So, you know, nothing you can take lightly. Everything's going to come uh, going to come hard and be something you have to earn. But, you know, we feel like uh, why not us as we go down there that we should be uh, feeling as confident as anybody. Yeah, and, you know, when you look at the four-team bracket, it's interesting because Utah State, in amongst the four teams and how it's seeded out by the committee, uh, t- technically are the two-seed, I guess. It's, you know, in the region, it's the three-seed. But within this four-group, uh, you know, this foursome of teams, uh, they would be two, Minnesota would be three, and then Colgate would be four. Obviously, Creighton would be one. So I guess in a weird way, as you mentioned, it one, it, it, it's a little uncommon. The Gophers travel 
too, that even in the opening round, technically on paper at least, they'd be the the underdog. And the Aggies uh, went really rolled through the Mountain West. And um, this this you know I think on paper. Uh, Gopher fans would look, uh, casual fans especially, and say, "Oh, Utah State, uh, wow, that that yeah." And they'll get in and see what they can do against Creighton, but I don't think they can't look past the Aggies, right? No, I mean they're a good team. You know, they they obviously play in a conference that uh, has produced a lot of good volleyball talent. You know, and they got upset, I think, a little bit of a wake up call in their uh, tournament semifinals. You know, they play a conference tournament in the Mountain West, and uh, after not losing since I think September thirtieth they get bounced in their tournament opener. So, you know, they're a team that uh, maybe got a little bit of a wake-up call or a gut check, whatever you want to call it there. Um, so, you know, they're they're going to come into it knowing what the expectation is for them. And, you know, they're probably in the same boat as us where they're thinking, well, we got to go to Creighton. we got to find a way to knock off them. And, you know, and, and nobody should be overlooked in this region. And, you know, that's the beauty of this tournament. You know, uh, crazy things happen. And I think uh, when we're still coming out of the wake of the, uh, the, the COVID effects, what have you, when you've got all these uh, seniors who've been there six, seven years, you know, experience and dev really is more important than it ever has been. Uh, funny things happen in this tournament. And, you know, it's one of those things you really got to buckle down. You got to play all three, four, five sets, whatever it may be. And, uh, and nothing you can take for granted. Yeah. And then when you look at this uh, bracket as well, after I just set the stage saying, Hey, no one can overlook anybody. And, uh, I believe that to be true. I also look at the bracket and know that Minnesota, you know, as you mentioned for really the last five or six Six weeks was considered a bubble team. I think they felt solidly in once they, um, you know, completed that last three weekends. Particularly, they beat Illinois on that on that Friday last this past Friday, and and that probably, if there was any doubt, uh, cinched it up. That said, um, and having set the backdrop as hey, they can't overlook anybody. I think they got a pretty decent draw here, right? I mean, they don't have to go too far from home. Fans can drive down there from Minneapolis, Utah State's not uh, look. They're going to be hard. You can't overlook them all that but it's not you know somebody from a power five conference uh, i think the draw is favorable if if they play their their game you know i was telling a few folks on selection sunday before the bracket was released that i wouldn't want to play us right now that you know there's going to be a team that gets a top 16 seed you know in that right to host a regional uh get to be the favorite to come out of it and they're going to draw us they're going to get a big 10 team that's been playing their best volleyball here over the last month or so and uh in creighton's case a team that you know took them to five sets had a great match with them three months ago so you know i think we're a tough draw i think we're a team that goes in there that nobody's going to want to see um you know obviously everybody's been playing good volleyball uh, in order to get there but i like where we're at right now you know it's a different team from uh from the start of the season as you want to be you know you always want to grow evolve and get better over the course of the season and we have you know and i i think we're really feeling confident where we are and um you know we obviously know that nothing's a given you know you still got to go out there and play um you know you're happy that you've uh, seemed to have turned a corner but you know this is december you know we flip the calendar and uh, and it's completely different it's a different atmosphere and a different animal this time of year and i think even uh, the head coach keegan cook made the comment that um he called it this week in his uh, news conference uh that minnesota would be an uncomfortable matchup for the other team because of what you just said that you know maybe the middle portion of the season wasn't great and i know there was a tipping point at 
at one point, which I'll ask you about here in a minute. But um, I, I like the way he phrased that, 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 that someone that looks at that bracket, if you're Utah State or Creighton, you might feel a little uncomfortable that that's not your normal in the opening round. You know, you get a four-team bracket. That's not the normal three-seed probably based on how the Gophers are playing right now. No, I mean, you know, no disrespect to any other conference, but, you know, the Big East, the, uh, the, the Mountain West, it's just not the Big Ten. You know, you go through that grind and you schedule the way that Keegan and that Hugh and Mike before him and, you know, uh, Gopher Volleyball has traditionally scheduled your non-conference and uh, it all prepares you for this moment. You know, it, it's awfully tough to uh, to roll in there, roll into the tournament with, you know, an undefeated season, something like that. And, you know, we know that going into it, but it's all built for this moment. It's all, uh, you know, so that we're geared to be successful in December. And, you know, you look at the the schedule that they did put together this season and the body work in and of itself. And, uh, yeah, you know, the record overall is going to be something that might cause Gopher fans or casual fans to uh, do a little bit of a double take, what have you. But, um, you know, you, you look at how it's paid off and where this team has gotten better and it's paid dividends here down the stretch for sure. And, you know, Nebraska, we know about Nebraska and Omaha and Creighton and it's it's volleyball crazy. So certainly Minnesota's going into a, a hornet's nest there, particularly if they advance and presumably play Creighton in that, in that second game on Saturday. Certainly it'll be a stiff challenge. I did want to ask you about the season itself and uh, certainly there is always it seems when a coaching change takes place and I think particularly when a coach takes over for a successful program it's one thing if a guy or a woman or whoever it is I say guy in a general sense not to mean that it has to be a male of course but when, when a coach comes in and it's a and it's an overhaul or a rebuild sometimes because the team's been terrible there's no way to go but up right so you see an immediate impact and you think man coaching matters look at that uh, I think of Wisconsin hockey for example, right, with Mike Hastings taking over. They haven't been very good in recent years, and, you know, two weeks ago, they're the number one ranked team in the in the country. Um, it's a little different in this case when you take over a power. Of, uh, you know, this is a true blue blood in, in volleyball, and when you've had success and then things change a little bit, and nothing's right, nothing's wrong, it doesn't matter, you know, I'm not saying that the way it was was correct and the way it is now isn't, or vice versa, but there is a little, uh, it not, clash isn't the right word, but maybe a, a little... Uh, you know, uh, confusion as they're trying to weave their way from what has been successful into a new path to be successful. And clearly it took some time. And I want to ask you specifically about the Rutgers match, because I think that was a road loss, right? You and I were at the football stadium. And I remember you telling me during a commercial break, uh, hey, Grimmer, they just lost at Rutgers. And we're like, whoa, that that's not good because Rutgers has not been great. My understanding is they had a players' meeting after that, and really from that point on, I think it seems this group made the decision, look, we, we, we can be better than this, and they have been. Yeah, you know, we started the season ranked number seven. We looked really good against two Big 12 teams to open the season, two teams that um, obviously went on to have success, uh, successful seasons, you know, uh, lost to Texas, who's going to be nobody's worst loss, lost to Florida, is uh, going to be nobody's worst loss, and then... Uh, went out west, split a couple of matches with Oregon and Stanford. Oregon, as it turns out, far and away our best victory this year. And then uh, split a couple of matches here against High Point and uh, Creighton before we got to the Big Ten slate. So, you know, four and four wasn't how people necessarily thought we'd go into the the conference slate. But, um, you know, it's it's not going to shock a whole lot of people either. We still felt pretty good about everything. Uh, started the year, you know, it seemed uh, everything was going fine through the the later portion of September. But then, like you said, we got into that early October swing where we went out east 
Uh, we dropped a five-set contest in Maryland on a Friday night, and then the following night, you know, we lose to Rutgers, and, you know, those are two losses, you know, we, you just don't come to expect from the Minnesota program. And, you know, the, the players really took ownership of that. And, you know, and I give Keegan a ton of credit, you know, with the expectations and the pressure put on him. It's a tough place to uh, inherit a, a program that's been really good for a long time. And, you know, it's it, there's a lot thought of the program. You know, there's high expectations immediately, whether you're a first-year coach or a 21st-year head coach. And, um, you know, I think he's done a great job just navigating that and, um, finding ways to adapt and help the team become more successful, put them in positions to succeed. And, you know, the players, I give them a ton of credit. They just, they really took ownership of it. They, you know, there's always going to be new faces, it seems like, in the area of the transfer portal. There's always different uh, players that you've got to mold and merge together and uh, just kind of find ways to get everybody to gel. And, you know, the, the team said, you know, we're not playing up to that Golden Gopher volleyball standard and, uh, you know, really took that upon themselves and they owned it. And, uh, yeah, and I give him a ton of credit for it. You know, Keegan kept the ship together, and uh, this team's found a way to, to play our best volleyball going into December. Could you uh, maybe quantify or qualify what, in addition to just maybe mentality-wise, were there things on the court you noticed that they did better um, after maybe that Rutgers match and what's been kind of clicking here of late for them on the court? I think our serving has been our best aspect of our game. And I think that goes back even before uh, the start of big 10 play, but I think that's continued to get better over the course of the season. I think that's uh, probably our biggest strength as a team when we get onto the court, but I'm noticing, you know, a lot of individuals that uh, have tooled their game and have continued to step up. You know, Kylie Murr was a great pickup for us in the transfer portal, the reigning big 10 defensive player of the year. And she's been a stalwart all season long. Uh, you know, really making sure that we're set defensively. And, you know, she, she's very much earned that title and uh, she'll be, uh, I think, in the running to repeat that honor, uh, you know, once those awards come out on Thursday. Uh, Taylor Landfair is a player I know had a lot of expectations for her coming into this season, you know, winning Big Ten Player of the Year a season ago. And, you know, her numbers weren't eye-popping early in the season, you know, and uh, defensively, I think a lot of teams would go after her and serve receive, and it's really cool to see where she's come from uh, from the start of the season to now. She's gotten more comfortable in Keegan's system. Uh, offensively, the last three weeks, she's been playing as well as anybody has offensively, and not just on our team, within the conference. You know, her numbers are starting to mirror uh, the body of work she put together a season ago. And, you know, defensively, teams aren't going after her anymore in service team. She's done a great job. It's really cool to see where she's coming in just the last couple of months. Um, you know, as as she uh, gets more comfortable back there, so you know she's uh, she really seems like she's coming into her own and playing her uh, best volleyball. And we all know how good of a player uh, she is and what she means to the team. Not only Shapmaster, you know, she just runs our offense so well. She's always got a lot of uh, you know pressure on her to uh, to be able to set everybody up to contribute. And I know how much time she puts in just making sure her sets are on and you know time outside the gym, outside of practice. Uh, you know, just building continuity with her hitters, uh, making sure that she knows where they like the ball, where she can put it. And you know, she's just done a great job running the offense. And, you know, we're finding ways to get the ball to the middle a lot. You know, that's something we weren't doing a whole lot early in the season. We've got somebody like Erica Davis who can really take over a match. And we're her touches are going up. We're finding ways to get the ball more to the middles. I think, you know, as talented as our outside and opposite hitters uh, are that, you know, we tend to try to get them the ball as much as possible. And I think we're doing a, a much better job diversifying the offense and really sharing the sugar, getting the ball toward uh, toward all of our playmakers. And I, it's paid dividends here down the stretch.
What are your observations now, too, as the regular season is wrapped up with what Keegan Cook has done in year one? You think about uh, with the transfer portal, uh, just with the coaching change in general, there were some, uh, even before Keegan got hired, there were some commitments. Uh, and Hugh, I thought, was classy about this. He could have waited until after signing day to announce, but he wanted to be fair to everyone. So they lose a couple of recruits, a couple people transfer. Um, all of a sudden, he has to hit the portal. You mentioned Murr and some others, um, uh, Grote from Cal. And I know I'm forgetting some, but uh, and then you're trying to meld together, uh, you know, these these newcomers, freshmen come in as well, um, and you know, there's ups, there's downs, there's new styles. Uh, how would you assess uh, what you saw and observed from Keegan Cook and how he navigated through uh, what was a challenging first season? I think he's done a great job. You know, he's had a lot of different players that have had to come in, like you said, and he's got to find a way to to, you know, mold them into kind of a finished product here over the course of three months. And, you know, he's, he's brought in several different skill set of players, not just players, but, you know, a lot of players with different uh, aspects of their game that make them special. You know, Kylie Murr's game is a lot different from Lydia Groats, a lot different from Phoebe Awale, a lot different from Zinep Palabiak, who, you know, I should mention, we brought her in right before school started and, you know, got to get her acclimated really darn quick. You know, the top libero in the uh, in the European class this offseason. And uh, she's worked her way into the regular rotation now. And, you know, we're really seeing uh, what she can bring to the table. So, you know, you're doing this all on the fly and, you know, you, it's a certain style of volleyball. I think they play out in the West Coast that uh, maybe is a little bit different than here in the Big Ten. I know Iowa kind of runs a system uh, like some of those schools do out there. But Keegan, I think, has done a good job kind of, uh, you know, bringing everybody in, not just adapting uh, what they can bring to the table as a unit, but then kind of adapting how – uh, you know, he he uh, runs things night in and night out in the Big Ten. So, you know, it's it's been a giant learning curve for him here in year one. And, you know, I, I think a lot of people are going to uh, maybe look back on this, you know, whether uh, this ends, the season ends uh, this weekend or, you know, in Pittsburgh in a couple of weeks or if we can make a run, whatever it may be. I think people may look back on it and think, you know, it was just a weird season to go for volleyball, maybe a, maybe a down year some people uh, clarify it, but you know, I think you take in a lot of those circumstances and. Uh, people are going to look back on it. They're going to they're going to realize what a great job he did here in year one. If the Gophers get out of this weekend, what will have had to have happened? What were some keys? If uh, you and I were talking on Monday, what's your prediction? Let's say the Gophers make the Sweet Sixteen. What um, what, what 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 how how would it unfold in your mind, or how will it unfold? biggest things that we did well fundamentally in Big Ten play were our serving and then limiting self-inflicted errors. You know, we finished second in the Big Ten in terms of fewest attack errors. Um, I, I think only Wisconsin was better, but, you know, we uh, we did not shoot ourselves in the foot, you know, and that, that's what you got to do at this time of year. You can't, especially if you're going on the road and you're trying to knock off a team like Creighton and, like you said, a, a hostile volleyball hungry environment down there you've got to not be your own worst enemy and take care of business yourself and our serving's always been a great aspect of what we've done this year you know uh aces the numbers have been good but you know beyond that i think you uh you you get up there and you've got a lot of different players that make it really difficult on on opponents and serve receive whether they're uh, putting some type of spin on the ball what have you what it may be and then just getting you uncomfortable once you get into serve receive so those are the two biggest things for me our defense has been really solid all year we've been uh, up in the amongst the big 10 leaders in terms of bigs and you know we we do a lot of the little things right and that's what you got to do this time of year so uh we're showing off our depth we're getting a lot more players involved and you know i think that 
that's what it's going to take. You know, this time of year is really going to expose how deep you are. And, you know, we're certainly deeper than the last time we saw Creighton. I'm sure that it's the same thing for them. Um, so, you know, how many playmakers can you funnel in and how many different players can get involved and how many weapons can you show off? I think really, really uh, separates teams this time of year. Well, you will have the call on the Gopher Radio Network. That's on the Varsity Network app, the iHeart app, uh, locally within the Twin Cities, 102.5 FM. Uh, it's a Friday, 4 o'clock, right, in the afternoon. So someone's still at work or someone's heading home on the drive home um, and uh, they want to uh, listen. That's that's how to do it. Uh, so. I'm looking forward to listening to myself. I appreciate that, Mike. I know a lot of fans will uh, subscribe to Big Ten Plus, what have you, throughout the year. And the tournament obviously gets carried in the ESPN family and networks. And, you know, maybe there's some folks that aren't, uh, you know, kind of get that subscription for the for the month, what have you. So the Gopher Radio Network's all that more happy to have you covered. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, very good. And hopefully you uh, call two, and hopefully you call two wins. Looking forward to it. Hopefully a week from now we'll be getting set for a trip to Pittsburgh. My thanks to Tanner Hoops for joining me on today's Go Gopher podcast to preview this weekend's NCAA tournament opening round in Omaha. And also my thanks to Ryan Burns who joined us earlier from Gopher Illustrated as we talked Gopher football. Episode 98 is presented by Sunbelt Business Advisors and True North Mergers and Acquisitions. If you're buying or selling a business, visit sunbeltminnesota.com or tnma.com. We're also partnered with Affinity Plus Federal Credit Union, a locally member-owned full-service financial invested in you. You can learn more at affinityplus.org slash gogophers. Affinityplus.org slash gogophers. Cub is also one of our primary sponsors here on the Go Gopher podcast. Cub is the official grocer of the Golden Gophers. We're also brought to you by State Farm agent Tony Hoagland. Again, I'd invite you to listen to past podcasts and right now click that subscribe button to the Go Gopher podcast. It's free to subscribe and free to listen at any point. And please share the link to the podcast with others so they can also subscribe and listen. We'll talk again next week.